Don't you love the artwork by Brian Bailey uh, that's been up here, just really well done. Uh, I can just tell you it's gonna be way better than any artwork I do this morning. So, uh, so many gifted uh, artists at Grace, really grateful for the beautiful expressions of, of, um, of the birth of the Savior. And have you noticed the different languages that, uh, that have been used? These Have you been here over these weeks? Uh, today, Pastor Iman Kafruni, who, uh, is, who leads the Arabic Fellowship here at Grace. Last week was Pastor Luis and uh, Jackie Martinez of Grace in Espanol. And then we also had Pastor Joe Dixon of, of the Deaf Church here at Grace, and then Polly and Mercy Ignacio, who are part of the Filipino Fellowship that meets every Sunday afternoon. And uh, just the beauty of God's global, global family, right? And an expression of what the angel announced at the birth of Jesus, that this would be good news of what? Great joy for how many? All the people, all the people, right? Every nation. So I love how we've gotten just a taste of that in the candle lighting of the Advent wreath, representing just a few of the languages and the nations uh, for whom Jesus came. Great joy for all the people. Why, why does it say, do you think, not just joy, but this is good news of what kind of joy? Great joy. Why, why, is, it, why is it great joy? A friend told me recently about an experience she had just several weeks ago with a fourth grader, one of the fourth graders uh, in her kids' class at, at church. There was a new girl we'll call Kayla, and she was new to the Bible, to all things church-related. Her dad dropped off Kayla and her brother Eli. And the second week in the kids' class, the focus was on a verse in the gospel account, the good news account of, of John. And, and it was John chapter 3, verse 17, which says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That right there turns on its heads what some people think Jesus came to do. That God's heart is somehow to, this judge just waiting to unleash his wrath. But to save the world through him. Kayla sat there listening and just taking this all in. This was brand new to her. And she couldn't get over the impact of those words. My friend Jen, who is the one who was in the class as one of the teachers, was in the lobby a little bit uh, after the class ended. And she saw Kayla go up to her brother Eli. She says, Eli, Eli, you know what? Tells her little brother, she goes, God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And, and, and then she goes to her dad a little bit after that, and Jen hears her tell her dad, she goes, did you know what, dad? God did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. She got it, right? She got it. And, and it's the wonder of Christmas. In fact, would you say it aloud with Kayla and with me? Already, let's say it together. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's John chapter three, verse 17. But for us to really understand where we are and that we actually stand condemned without the intervention of God that very first Christmas, I want us to go back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter three. So if you have your Bible, or your smartphone, uh, Genesis chapter three, 
Someone has said that picking up the Bible at the Christmas story in Bethlehem is like picking up a book and starting at chapter 36, that you miss out on the plot, the tension, you miss how the table is set for something dramatic to happen. Genesis 3 sets the plot. It tells us what went wrong with the perfectly good world that God had designed. So let's take a look. Genesis chapter 3. If you got some notes on your way, and that'll help you to follow along. And, uh, and if you didn't get those, you can just go to our homepage, gracemi.org, and you'll see the bulletin there. And all of you who are engaging online. To friends at Olmstead Falls, uh, I look forward to being with you on Christmas Eve night. I'll be speaking at this, uh, both services, but I'll be with you um, at uh, 7 p.m. in person and look forward to that. And uh, brothers at uh, Lorraine Correctional, just continue to hear good things God is doing among you as well. Genesis chapter 3. How did our world go off the rails? Let's see what the Bible says to describe that. Genesis chapter 3, we'll read the first eight verses. Listen to the lies of the enemy to God's people, how this, how this goes wrong. Now the serpent, this is a, an expression of, of the enemy of our souls, Satan himself. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That was a lie right there, lie number one. He didn't say that. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Another lie, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day, and they, they what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's almost comical, isn't it, to think that we can hide from God, and yet all of us in our shame, at some point, we try to create distance between us and God, or we think that somehow, maybe if no one else knows it, maybe God doesn't know it either. We mess up, we feel guilty, and there becomes this distance between us and God. Well, Adam and Eve, they're deceived by the enemy, they, and you see the devastating results for the forerunners of the human race. There's a curse that just comes over really everything that's good in the world. And really, it's what we've inherited as a result of what they did and then how we follow in their steps. And we also act in rebellion. And as a result, there's lots of pain and strife and disappointment, and ultimately, there's, there's death. Here's how Genesis 3 ends. If you look at the last couple of verses there, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
After he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. They're locked out of the presence of God. It's the worst consequence of all. To have the, that the very God who created you, who loves you, who has a purpose for your life and in whose relationship you find your ultimate meaning and purpose to have that relationship crushed, to be pronounced guilty, to be condemned. That's the result of sin and rebellion. That's how it all begins and that's the opening chapters and it's the question that Christmas answers, how? Let's see, uh, speed ahead to Romans chapter five, Romans the uh, sixth book of the New Testament and see how the New Testament looks back on the crushing blow of this historic event, Adam's sin. Romans 5, and in my Bible, uh, the New International Version says, death through Adam, life through Christ. And here's what we read, the impact of Adam's sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought what? Death. So death spread. It's like this giant infection to everyone for everyone's sin. So it wasn't just that we somehow are unfairly, you know, made guilty because of Adam's sin. We're made guilty because we've all sinned. And then verse 18, you drop down there, it says, one trespass resulted in what? Condemnation for, for all people. Here's the diagnosis. Here's, here's what happened. We, we have this, this perfect God who, 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 who began it all and, and he, he's just, and he's, we can say he's good, he's holy, he's perfect. I mean, he's just, in every way, you, you just say God is, he didn't just make what was good, it, it, he is good. It's taste and see that the Lord is, he's good. He's, he's utterly perfect, he's pure, he's never sinned, he's never had to regret anything that he's, he's, He's perfect in every, all, all of his ways. His, he, he doesn't look back and wish he had done something differently. But we in our rebellion, here's what it says about, about Adam, what we read. That Adam, and I'm gonna use a different uh, color here. Here's what Adam did. The, Adam, because of his sin, was pronounced guilty and through guilt, we said, came, what entered through sin? Death, that's right. And, and because of death, there's this eternal separation that, uh, that if we don't, if there's no change, that, uh, that we're gonna be locked out of God's presence. And, and really what you could say is, is that word that is pronounced in in uh, Romans, that uh, we stand condemned. And so there's this horrible separation between us and God, locked out of his presence. And if we were to look and say, th this is the problem with, with our world, that we have this perfectly holy God and who created everything good, 
And yet through Adam's sin, we have this, we have this uh, terminal spiritual disease. We're condemned. We don't like that, but that's, that's, that's what the Bible says about us, that, that on our own, we are condemned. It's a harsh word, isn't it? When you think of a house that's been condemned, what, 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 is, what do we mean by that? We mean that a house has deteriorate, deteriorated to the point that there's this immediate danger to the health and the safety of the occupants. It might be uh, structural kind of issues or contamination or some kind of code violations or the roof's ready to fall or whatever it might be. At one point, that house was somebody's dream house, right? It was good. It was, but now it becomes uninhabitable. It's condemned. Left to our own devices, that's what our lives are like. Something that God always intended to be good. Something happens and, and we become condemned. With Adam, we have these horrible consequences of the collateral damage of, of guilt that brings death and, and separation and relationships and, and all kinds of brokenness in our lives. That's all of us. That, that's what the Bible says is wrong with you and with me. But remember, Kayla, what she learned that Sunday? It's the wonder of Christmas. Would you say it with me again? Let's remind ourselves, this is what Jesus came to do. You ready? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did Jesus arrive in Bethlehem? He was, he was on a mission, right? He didn't just come to set an example for us or to say, here's, he, he, he came in order that you and I might not be condemned. And so, what does Jesus do? Jesus, some would say, is the second, the second Adam, and, and, and here's what he, what he comes to do. He comes to, to, to save us. He, he gives life instead of to replace death. There's a sense of anticipation of eternal joy, says, I'm going to prepare a home for you. Really, what he does in the end is he he makes us right with him. He makes us right with, with a, a perfectly holy and perfectly just God. Listen how he goes on here, Paul in Romans chapter five. He says this in verse 16. He talks about the contrast between this first Adam and and the second representative that we can align with, he says, Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. He's saying Jesus, Jesus takes that chasm between us and our Father, and he he, he, he brings us together. He reconciles us. And then again, down at verse 18, he says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. And one more verse, verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, 
Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, you can live forever. Instead of eternal separation, there can be eternal joy. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and take you. He says, you can look forward to that. Why? All because of what Jesus has done. What did he do? Uh, it's because Jesus would go and he says that one act of righteousness, that, that if Adam's one sin of rebellion led to all of this, he says, Jesus, this one act of righteousness, that he would go to the cross that, uh, that would lead to us, that he can save us. He gives life. We have the anticipation of eternal joy. He makes us right with our Father in heaven. So why in the world would God do that? What would lead God to come into the brokenness of our world? The biblical record makes it clear. Let's turn to John 3, where we read that first verse. John chapter 3. Uh, you might remember that John 3 is the story of a very religious guy, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear that even religious people uh, need uh, to be born again, need to be saved as much as anyone. On their own, uh, even religious people are, are guilty. Uh, they, they deserve death. They have eternal separation from God. They stand condemned. The outlook is bleak on our own. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul, that's what the testimony of the scriptures are, is that, that you and I, without uh, left to our own devices, you and I stand condemned. So why would Jesus come for messed up people like us? We're not left guessing. Here's what he says in verse 16. Might be the most well-known verse in our culture. If you watch football today, I don't know, do they still hold up signs sometimes in the end zone or people's eyeliner or whatever? Here's what we read. God, what? So loved, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what's the very next word? The very next verse. God did not send a son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Friends, that's who he is in his nature. And so if we want to add one more word up here, we'd say it's because of his great love. It's because of his that we read, even, even while we were still sinners, Christ what? Christ died for us. He died for us. That his love, Paul says in Ephesians 3, is so wide and so long and so high and so deep. He says it's beyond what we could ever comprehend. That's just who God is in his nature. So he comes at great cost. He comes into our world of condemnation and he does something that's brutally painful to him. Love is not just soft and cuddly and we think of a little baby in the manger. It makes painful decisions for people who don't deserve it. You might remember a Peanuts cartoon that pictures Linus looking out the window and he says, I, I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. Uh, do you ever feel that way? I, I love mankind. It's just the person in my house or the next door cubicle or whatever. It's a lot easier to love the idea of love than to actually love the difficult people who are right in front of us, right? God so loved the world. He loved 
condemned people. He loved rebellious people. He loved broken people, you and me, that he gave. I think a lot of us, at some point in life, we wrestle with the question, does God, like, really love me? You ever wrestle with that? Maybe you have some time in the past. Maybe you will. When life gets really painful, you, you get some kind of terrible health news or maybe you feel badly and it's just your own guilt. You think, I don't know, can God still love me? Or you lose a job you really love or someone walks out on you or you have a child who's created distance between you and them. And in those moments, we might wrestle like, if God really, truly loved me, why, why would he allow this to happen? You can believe in God, you can go to church, you can read your Bible, have some understanding of his love, but the belief will be tested. God's love will be put to the test by the trials and the crises of life. At some point, we wonder. We go, did God... Friends, here's the proof of, of God's love right here is the cross of Jesus Christ. That God would send his son into the world and Jesus would stretch out his arms and say, you wanna know how much I love you? I, I love you this much. I don't want you to stand condemned. I came so that you can be in relationship with me, that you can be made right and that you can live with me forever. That's God's heart. If you ever question God's love, look to the cross. That's ultimately what Christmas is all about, that God in his love would come into our world to show us exactly what love is all about, and Jesus would be condemned in our place. Jesus would be condemned in my place. Would you say that with me? Jesus would be condemned in my place. Do we grasp the reality of that? It's what sets him apart from every other religious leader. Here's how Tim Keller puts it in his wonderful book, Hope in Times of Fear, which he wrote after he got his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and he knew that barring a miracle that uh, his time was not long and he would die a couple years after this. And he wrote this. The founders of the other great world religions died peacefully, surrounded by their followers and the knowledge that their movement was growing. In contrast, Jesus died in disgrace, betrayed, denied, and abandoned by everyone, even his father. Other world religions teach salvation through ascent to God, through good works, moral virtue, ritual observances, transformation of consciousness. In contrast, Christianity is about salvation through God's descending to us. This is the great difference between Christianity and every other philosophical and religious system. God descends to us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
Amen. Such love. Such love. You know, I love the declaration in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, there is therefore now no what? No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. On our own, condemned. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As one person has put it, God exposes sin not to shame us, but to change us. God exposes sin not to shame us, but to change us. There may not be a better Christmas carol to highlight how the gospel changes everything than Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we sing this. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Want to sing the next line? Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Why did he die? Born so that we wouldn't have to die. Born to give us second birth, a new life. Born so that you and I would not have to be condemned. Why would he do that? All because of love. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what's our response? Because what Jesus offers, what he came to do, is not automatic, right? So listen to the next verse here in John chapter 3. If you're still there, John chapter 3, verse 18 says this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What he's saying is this, that you and I are either here or we're over here, right? We're either condemned or we're not condemned, and it all comes down to our response to what Jesus has done for us. A person over here on this side just says, I'm just going to carry on. Just live my life. Essentially, you do nothing. You just continue to live. And a person over here says, I'm going to do what is earlier in John's gospel. I'm going to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that I am condemned without him, and I'm going to receive him and his salvation in my life, and, and, and I'm going to, this is going to be the, this is what takes you from here to here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the question. Can you say, I'm in Christ Jesus? I have a relationship with Jesus today. You know, when we, when we follow Jesus, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Friends, at the core, that is the Christmas message. The fourth candle is the candle of love, that God in his love sent his son Jesus, to do what you and I couldn't do for ourselves, right? 
And, and uh, we're, we're stuck. This is who we are. We're separated from God. And the only way is for us to say, Jesus, what you did, you stood condemned in my place. I trust in you. You know, there's this fascinating statement uh, in John's gospel. Jesus had no doubt that his father loved him. He says it on occasion. In John 10, verse 17, Jesus says, the father loves me. And we might think, well, of course the father loves his son, Jesus. I mean, you love your son, at least good fathers do, and he's a perfect father. But do you remember what Jesus says about his love for us when we're... Listen to this. In John 15, Jesus says... As the Father has loved me, so what? Have I loved you? Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Jesus says that he loves you just as the Father loves him. Amazing, isn't it? That you and I would be that loved. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus so loved as God the Son that he came. And then the Holy Spirit loves us so much that not only does he save us but he, from condemnation, but he remakes us, he restores us, he shapes us to be the person that he always intended for us to be. So he doesn't just take us from, from death to life and from guilty to beings. He says, I, I want you to become the person. I want you to become more and more like the one who gave his life for you. I want you to, to become conformed to the image of Jesus. Those who are condemned get a second chance. Reminds me of a, the Salem jail in Massachusetts that... I read about. It opened in 1813. You'll see a picture of it here. And, uh, and a century later, uh, that's, that was about 30 years ago, but a century later, Harry Houdini staged an escape there, and, and it was in 1906. In 1984, living conditions were so bad that detainees said they had to use chamber pots for bathrooms and a few inmates sued the county. So the jail closed in 1991, condemned, unfit for use until then it was the oldest penitentiary in the United States. Sort of shameful. For the next 20 years, the building was abandoned until it got a second chance. You wanna see it today? Developers transformed it into luxury apartments and a restaurant about 10 years ago. From a prison to, I wonder if any of the same people who used to live there, you know, <laughs> live there today. That's transformation, right? You wanna see the before and after together? From condemned to restoration. You know, you might um, think today, I, I uh, Man, I don't just need a second chance. I need way, I mean, just way more than a second chance. I, friends, it's why Jesus came. If you know him and you trust him, can I just remind you, you are not saved based on who you are, anything good about you. You're saved only because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, right? This is the wonder of Christmas, that whoever is in Christ no longer stands condemned. 
You and I have an opportunity to go from condemned to have, doesn't matter where you've been, how far you've strayed. If you've never put your trust in him and think, I just, the enemy's gonna lie to you and say, you know, you'll never, you'll be good. And he's, he's right about that, you'll never be good enough. But you know who has been good enough? Jesus Christ says, I've, I've taken all your shame, your guilt, your, I've died so that you never have to die. Friends, the wonder of the gospel is what Kayla began to comprehend when she heard that for the first time. Can we say it together again aloud? Did you guys put the verse up there for me? That final verse. Let's say it together. You ready? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Lord Jesus, what else can we say but, but thank you? Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to voluntarily be condemned for us, to become one of us, to take our place. Jesus, you took my place. And so I, I just again say, Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. And Lord, for those who haven't yet taken that step, May they see your love in, in us. Lord, shine through us, we pray. Thank you for giving us a second chance, a third and a fourth, and infinitely more with people through the centuries and people around the globe today. Lord, we would say we worship you. We honor you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Such great love. You stood condemned, so we would never need to bear that sentence. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. And everyone said, amen. What a great and loving God we have. Let's stand together as we acknowledge that.